Hello everyone, this is Salsa Dominion, and today with us we have Dylan here. He's a former LSAT student who scored a 177 in the official test, and now he's gonna talk a little bit about his journey, his difficulties, and just everything LSAT related. Dylan, how are you? Good, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. No, thanks to you, man. Like, this is, this is awesome. Like, I mean, I'm very excited to have this conversation with you, and I'm sure that lots of students will enjoy it also hearing from your words and your experience. So uh, the first thing that I wanted to start talking about is uh, how did everything start for you for, with the ELSA journey? Mm -hmm. Right, so when I started undergrad, I knew I wanted to go to law school. So the LSAT was kind of in the back of my mind, but I was just thinking like, that's just something I can take care of later, like when I was an underclassman. And then my summer before my junior year of college, I got lunch with a friend who is also planning going to law school and she talked about how she was studying for the LSAT. And I was surprised because she was a year younger than me. So I was thinking, well, I mean, if she's studying now, I mean, why don't I get started? So after that lunch, I went, I drove to Barnes and Noble and picked a Kaplan book off the shelf and bought it. Now, knowing what I know now, I probably wouldn't have gone with Kaplan, but this was like my first like experience with the LSAT. So uh, I, that's just how it all started. That, that's a, an amazing story, actually. That's a very impulsive. It's weird to see like this kind of behavior and people who are trying to get into law school, but it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And uh, about the Kaplan like book. So let's talk a little bit about that because, you know, I like talking a bit, a little bit about how these students with extremely good scores got the fundamentals of the test. I work as a tutor for the LSAT and I always tell my students that it's very important that at the beginning of your process that you get the basics of the test and those fundamentals in order for you to later on start taking practice tests and reviewing them, which is the key to your progress basically. But uh, for example, myself, I use the power score Bibles and uh, I thought they were extremely helpful. And I, I've never used Kaplan, but I, I haven't heard great things about the, some of the courses. But then I don't know anything about the book. So what did you think about that? So as just a pure introduction, going in with absolute no knowledge, it did an all right job of laying out like the fundamentals of the test. But I actually did later use the LSAT Bibles, which I think are just much better overall mm -hmm. and will help you get a higher score than any Kaplan product. Uh, so if I actually did my research before just diving in head first and getting that book i probably would have gotten the bible sooner but i just kind of went to like the bookstore and kaplan was a name i recognized and now i know that that's pretty much their whole business model is capitalizing on their name recognition yeah that's true that's true but i but i, I agree with you the the power score bibles are great for anyone listening mm -hmm. here I, my opinion is that the Logic Games Bible is specifically, that's a great resource. The Logical Reason and Reading Come, I think they're very good at explaining those fundamentals, but the Logic Games, I think it's, it's awesome. And yeah. for anyone listening, and maybe Dylan, you can agree or disagree with me, what I'm gonna say, I also think that the, the Loophole by Alan Cassidy, it's a very helpful resource for anyone trying to get the basics. Um, let's talk a little bit also about, uh, because we, we were talking about this before, and you told me that you didn't take a, cold diagnostic for the test and it's very common for everyone you know starting their journey to just take cold diagnostic to see where they are so what did you do instead of that so that wasn't really a deliberate decision i 
really like I said, I just dove in. I didn't do any research. I didn't discover like the uh, LSAT subreddit or anything like that. So I didn't know that was a thing people did. So after I read through the Kaplan book, I took my first practice test and got a 163, which I know is a great starting score. I don't know how I would have done before, like getting that introduction to the test, maybe something like low 150s, mid 150s. But honestly, I don't really think it matters that much. Um, I, when I see people talk about their cold diagnostics, I don't really put a lot of weight into that because it's like they're trying to like play a game that they don't know the rules of yet. So it doesn't really indicate anything. Like if I just came to your house with a board game and I said, we're going to play right now and you don't know the rules at all, you're going to lose. But that doesn't mean that you can't do well after you learn how to actually play the game. That's a great analogy, actually. And it's true that a lot of people put too much weight on that diagnostic, maybe. Uh, and I, I completely agree with you. In my opinion, the diagnostic is something that what I tell my students is that if you if you take it, that's that's completely fine because that, that will show you kind of where you are. But at the same time, I completely agree with you because I have students who start in the 140s and then in two months, they're in the 160s, like mid 160s immediately. They're doing great with that. But on the, on the other hand, I have students who start with a 150, for example, and they take way more than that to get into the mid 160s. So it completely depends on the person and also like how much do you need in order to improve? Because if you're like the skills that someone has at improving at something, they're much different from person to person. Yeah. Exactly. So like, for example, there's people who are awesome at making big jumps on the test or making big score increases. So I completely agree with you on that one. Uh, by the way, how long did you take in order to... Uh, you know, get those fundamentals, get those basics before starting taking practice tests? Well, I, I didn't really put off taking practice tests. The way I saw it is even if I don't have like, even if I haven't like rigorously studied each section or each like question type, there's still a lot of value to sitting down and taking a five section or now three section test just because of the repetition of like, going through the motions and building stamina. I see a lot of people that they get scared to take the first practice test because they feel like they have so much more to learn and they'll be disappointed if their score isn't where they want it to be. But I just think there's so much value in actually sitting down and just focusing on the test for as long as it takes. That's, yeah, I completely agree with that. That's a very good approach for the test. And uh, it's interesting because it's like, I, I haven't talked to many students who have done the same thing as you did, basically. But uh, talk, talking about that then, for example, do you think that you took like lots of prep tests before your actual test? Or, I mean, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So I took about 30 full-length practice tests. Mm. And when you add in like individual sections, I mean, I pretty much covered most of the release tests, but just 30 practice tests that I took like in test like conditions. That That's a great number. I completely yeah. agree with that being a great number. I think it's, mm -hmm. I think it, if you do it properly, that should be enough to make big improvements. If you yeah. review them properly. The problem is that there's lots of students who just take one prep test and then they're just like, okay, what's my score? Uh, yeah, review, blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's take another one. And they just keep doing, yeah. keep doing, keep cramming, and they don't learn anything at the end of the day. 
-hmm. it's hard for them to realize how much you can learn if you really put a lot of hard work in reviewing a single prep test. Mm -hmm. And that's why I spaced out my prep tests. I tried to keep to a schedule of one prep test a week, typically on like a Saturday or Sunday. And then throughout the week, taking like a section a day or drilling that day and really give myself enough time to review that prep test before taking another one. I'm also a big believer in blind review, which if anyone doesn't know, it's when after you take the prep test or a section, you do it all over again with no time constraints. And so you can see the difference between what you score under time conditions and what you score with untimed conditions. And it can just tell you like whether or not the problems you're facing are because you don't understand the material or you just need to work on improving your speed. Thank you for that description. I was about to explain it, but I, I think you, you did a, you would, you've done a better job than I would have done it. So thank you for that. Thanks. But the, the, the thing about it is that I completely agree with because blind review, it's something that I believe that everyone should do, in my opinion. And you can take it to different extents. For example, I was, I was kind of nuts and I would review like the whole test again. I would do it the whole thing on time. And a lot of people would ask me, hey, but like, you know, there's going to be like lots of questions that you know you got right or that you were very confident at. But what I would think is also, yeah, but couldn't I have done it faster, for example? Yeah, let's, mm -hmm. sure. Like, for example, when I have lots of students who come to me and they say, hey, took the logic game section and it went well, but that last game, it was hard. I mean, I didn't have enough time to cover it, you know? And I said, well, how much time do you have left? And they said, well, six minutes which is kind of close of on what, like, what I should be taking for each game. First of all, I don't like that because it supposes that each game is the same difficulty, which is not true. Same with like mm -hmm. anything, any, anything else in the, in the whole test. Like there's variation of difficulty within the section. And also what I tell my students is that, hey, if, did you, what did you review? And they say, well, I reviewed only the game that I missed. And I'm like, what about the first or second games? Is, don't you think that there are ways of doing them faster, for example? And I think that a lot of people just overlook that. They assume that because they got something right, they know everything about it. And I don't think that's true. I think that many times there's a lot of value that you can learn from those questions, from even questions that you got right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with that. There were a lot of times when I was reviewing tests where I got an answer right and even though it might not have been like I completely guessed, but like I definitely had a lot to learn from that question. And the question definitely taught me something that I may have missed or not thought about. Yeah, yeah, completely true. And it's it's something that people should, I mean, it tells you like what kind of student you have, you are, because like I have students who are more focused on like actually the review process of everything than just like, I mean, I have lots of students who just focus on the score. And I try to change that mindset, mm -hmm. which is like, don't, like, they just care about whether they got it right or wrong. And that's it, you know? And right. it's, like, it's like sometimes I'm reviewing questions and they're like, oh, it's B. I'm like, it's not B. And immediately they're like, well, yeah. it's D. And I say, um, it's weird to me that you're, you don't care what you, you chose B at that moment. You chose a wrong answer choice. And it seems that you don't care about that. Yeah. You're just trying to spot the right mm -hmm. one which is good, but aren't you curious about like why you chose the wrong one? What was that thought process right. that led you to that wrong answer choice? And that's something mm -hmm. that's very important for you to review in order to get better at the mm -hmm. test. 
Yeah, one thing that uh, I think is a really good piece of advice that I've heard from the Thinking LSAT podcast guys, uh, mm. Nathan Fox uh, and Ben, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his last name. Ben but, Olson. Uh, they say when you get an answer wrong, Ben Olson, that's it. Yeah. They say when you get an answer wrong, you made two mistakes. Something you picked like a wrong answer and you didn't pick the right answer. So it's, yeah. you did two things wrong on that question. And the fact that like people typically ignore one of those mi mistakes, they ignore the th them picking the wrong answer and just focus on why the right answer is right. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that one. And it's also another thing that it's extremely important. This is my opinion. And I, I always tell my students and everyone who asks, anyone who asks me about the test is that in my, one of the most underrated skills in the LSAT, it's being able to know why the wrong ones are wrong. I yeah. feel that a lot of people try to focus too much on why the right ones are right, which is still like very important. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what you're trying to choose the right one. But I, what I've seen from very high scorers is that they're all extremely good at looking at an answer choice and being like, yeah, that's not correct. And justifying why that's not correct. Because I see many students telling, yeah, that's mm -hmm. not correct. And I'm, I'm like, why? And they're like, well, you know, it's not, doesn't sound good. I'm like, yeah, that's not an explanation. <laughs> I mean, you, you should have, mm -hmm. like, you should imagine. What I tell my students is that imagine that you're in front of court and you are in front of the judge and you're trying to justify mm -hmm. why that's not the correct answer choice. You need to be, you need to have good evidence for that. If you just say, yeah, that's not a good argument. I mean, the judge will be like, get out of the courtroom. Like, I don't want you mm -hmm. here. Well, it's the same. You should have, have the same thought process there. And I, the problem with this is that it makes the whole review aspect of the prep test very draining. It makes it very tiring. Mm -hmm. If you really review it properly, it's like those people who tell you, hey, I've taken a prep test today and I've reviewed the whole test already. And they're scoring uh -huh. the 150s. And you're like, wait, yeah. how did you do that? Like, it's impossible that if you do the review process properly, you shouldn't be able to take one prep test today. That's mm -hmm. very unlikely. And another thing that's so important about why you should focus on why the wrong answers are wrong is because the test just repeats itself. Like the tricks they use in one test are the same tricks they use in all the tests. So if when you're reviewing this prep test, you see, oh, this answer is wrong because like this word makes it wrong. There, there are tons of other examples of questions and answer choices where like there's that same word or like a similar word where they employ Definitely. the same trick. So when you get a really good understanding of why certain answer choices are wrong, when you see it the next time, you don't have to waste time like deliberating. You can just cross it out. Yeah, definitely. I always make the flaw questions are the big example of that, you know, mm -hmm. because like the answer choices usually describe different flaws and they're always the same flaws also. Like, yeah. like also like, you know, like mistakes correlation for causation or mistakes is a cause for an effect or mistakes, a sufficient condition for a necessary condition. And these words just, they just sound weird when you start. And yeah. once you practice them over and over, if, I, if they tell me, oh, does this argument mistake a, a sufficient condition for a necessary condition? I will, I don't even need to think about it because I've seen that thing so many times, that flaw, that right. I'm able to recognize it immediately if I see that. And if you're able to like, go through each answer choice and tell yourself, hey, that's not correct because then the flaw would look like this and it doesn't look like this, you know? Then you're gonna mm -hmm. be so much faster when you face like different flaw questions in the future. And that's the same thing for like any other type of question or 
any passage or for for games don't, don't get me started with games like it's like with one game you could anything that you learn in one game can be useful for any other game mm -hmm. it's just, it's just yeah. how it works um let's talk about, uh, yeah sorry what were you no go ahead I, it's I was just going to say, okay. so, say that's why it's so important with games, especially to just drill, drill, drill. And yeah. I even like, I like foolproofing, which is where like you keep redoing the game after a certain amount of time until you can just have it down like perfect in a short amount of time. Now, yeah. some people like are kind of excessive and they'll say like, do it seven, eight, nine times, which is just a waste of time. But like, yeah. If you do it like a lot of games, I would do them like three times, like once the first time through, then second on blind review. And then I would watch an explanation video of like, okay, how do the experts play do this game? And then after that, not immediately after, but after like maybe a day or a couple days, I go back and do that game. And just doing that over and over, it re is really how you get to minus zero on logic games, which is Definitely. pretty much how I was on all on all the like prep tests when i was at the level i, I was at now yeah i agree so, with you yeah. completely mm. i mean I, my my games story is basically two months of studying of taking games non-stop and that doesn't mean like taking a section a day but sometimes i would just take one game in the morning if i didn't have enough time you know just like people yeah. play sudoku when they're eating breakfast well i would just do one game it's it's fun it's just like a puzzle yeah. basically and after two months of doing that and the same thing that you said, right? Oh, wait, two weeks ago, I did this game that was kind of complicated and I reviewed it, I got it right. Let me try it again. And mm -hmm. then I would do that over and over. And after two months, I was almost getting minus zero after all of that. So it's something that I always recommend anyone. Uh, the key to games is repetition and review and just mm -hmm. doing over and over and over. And I mean, someone, if you spend, for example, six months studying, you could do like, half of the game sections and if you do half of the game sections just by doing them and understanding them you're gonna get so much better than that so much better so it, it's amazing mm -hmm. what you can do with that the, the question that i was going to ask you is tell me about the sections for you so like what did you struggle the most the least like what came first for you are you the kind of guy who like like the classic the typical thing is like games is the first thing that you master and then reading golf is the last one is that the case for you or are you different that yeah yeah, that was me. I uh, I definitely, um, I didn't like section it so that I do only games for a period of time and then only LR for a period of time. It was more like I was always working on everything. But then when I would, when I started using the Bibles, that's when I would just have a little bit more focus on one section. So I would still keep like doing a prep test every week, but just one of my reading material for those the weeks would be like only logic games because I was just working through the Bible. And yeah, logic games for me was always my best section because like everyone says, it's so learnable. And I, I find them kind of fun. I like puzzles. So I found them kind of fun. And I did something that you you said you did where like, you're just like have a few spare moments like at breakfast, and you just do a game. Yeah. that's what I would do like I, I would have some free time so like oh I'll do a game and part of that was because like it's fun and part of that was like so I can get better yeah I agree with you like it's and it's not that draining like mm -hmm. the also I think burnout is real if mm -hmm. you really like 
put a lot, a lot of work on that. But for games, to me, like it was very hard to have a burnout. It's just like yeah, it's like solving puzzles. It's like for example, I love playing chess. And it's you know my spare time. I like I have ten minutes. I'll go to chess.com and just play chess online with random people. Mm-hmm. Just find the kind of find the, like the same thing, you know, just like kind of entertaining. It's like a puzzle, trying to yeah. solve everything, putting the pieces together. So it's it just I mean. It's not, it's what I, I get very shocked when I get the students saying, oh my God, I, I can't with games. Like I, I so like, it's mm-hmm. awful. It's the worst thing ever. I'm like, holy, wait until you got to law school then. Like that's going to be uh-huh. really, really bad basically. But, uh, but yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. By the way, like uh, we are having um, these days, the August test is happening. And uh, so it's, I think it's a great moment to talk about, you know, the test day preparation or everything. So let me ask you this did you do anything different for your for the week before the test so my week um i didn't really do anything differently um i had a week before the test i took a prep test as always and then like i just studied for a few more days and then two days before the test i just had a really light day i didn't really do like a lot of practice. I was just kind of reviewing stuff. And then the day before I didn't touch anything. I um, actually spent time with a friend to just like distract me and not think about the test at all. Yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, that's what I always recommend people to just relax before like going to the the test and everything. I mean, it's something that you prepare for months. Something you can't cram at the last minute and just try to like Mm -hmm. study everything just go there and give your best i mean i i i always take the else just like a, a like uh like it's like a marathon i mean that's a classic comparison mm-hmm. that they do where you're just you're the day before the marathon you're not gonna go nuts and start running like 42 kilometers too right mm-hmm. you're just gonna relax and keep put yourself in a good attitude in a good mental positive attitude and confident attitude to give yourself just just to give the best for the exam and that's something that is mm-hmm. extremely helpful uh, it's true that people have different approaches to this. I've seen people who like to study like until last minute because if not, they get very anxious. But it, in my opinion, it's something that I would try to avoid. Like generally, yeah. generally, like the general consensus would be you should relax. And what about test day? Like, were you nervous that day or how was it? I mean, obviously there are some like test day jitters, but I'm usually not someone who like performs worse under pressure. Uh, my mentality going in was it's just another prep test and that that idea got validated when I actually started taking the test because I was like I've seen this before like I know what they're doing like I even had a moment in the test with an LR question where they had like this really clever trick and like I saw it and I was like oh my god that's such a great trick that's so clever I was like commiserating with the test makers because I was like that's so going to fool a ton of people. And it, it was just something that I had was able to do because I was prepared and I'd been working hard for a long time. And I went in, like, I went in, like, knowing that I could crush the test and that confidence helped me perform at my best. That, yeah, I mean, that's something that it's very, it's, a, it's an incredible story. And that score that you got is amazing. But uh, but it's true. I mean, uh, the more you study for the test, uh, you, I mean, at least to me, and it seems that it's the same to you, it happens that you get more impressed about how this test is made, all mm-hmm. the questions and everything. I, I really have a lot of respect for those 
crazy people who are creating like the questions and everything. It just, yeah, it seems very impressive to me. And uh, did you expect the score that you got? Or I guess that you were very nervous, but was that kind of your average? Did you expect, did you mm -hmm. expect more? Well, I mean, if you, if you tell me <laughs> not that you much more. more. Okay. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Damn it, I wanted the 180. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, obviously after you take the test, like every possible score goes through your mind. Like you think sometimes, there are some moments where you think like I crushed it and some where you think I might've just bombed it. So. I don't have like, it, I don't have any like post-test expectations. I was just hoping for the best, but like going in, I was pretty confident I'd get a score in the 170s, possibly mid 170s. The 177 was towards the higher end of my range. So in that way I got lucky, but it wasn't like some outlier that just came out of nowhere. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, also, like when you get to the 170s, really like there's a big difference in missing one question or not. Oh, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's a small moment of imprecision mm -hmm. and that could change your score definitely yeah. for sure. But uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, that score is just, to me, like 177, it's like anything above 175, it's the same as 180 in my opinion. It's kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, um, if, law, if a law school doesn't get you with a 175 or above, I mean, I don't know what else you can do. In yeah, order to, I like, mean, not to go too in depth on admissions, but once you're above a school 75th percentile, there's really like decreasing marginal gains from having a higher LSAT score. Yeah, that's true. But it's insane because when just going one point lower than the average, that mm -hmm. could make a big difference. I mean, uh, if you're yeah. one point lower than the average, that could mean rejection. And I've seen people like mm -hmm. retaking getting just two points more, which just places them like one point above the average of the school, I'm getting accepted, which mm -hmm. is, in my opinion, it's, it's kind of crazy. And it shows you how, yes, I know that all law schools talk about like, you know, like, oh, you know, like we look at the, at the individual and mm -hmm. all of that, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, yeah there's like some part of truth <laughs> to that. But at the end of the day, like the numbers are what matters the most. And there's nothing yeah. they can, they can't deny that basically. Yeah. And I think for me, there's something kind of reassuring about that, of how stats focused it is, because it's really something you can control. You know, you can't like, if they, you can't control like how an admissions officer is gonna feel about your personal statement on a particular day. So the fact that it's not as important as like your stats, it's just kind of reassuring that like, you know, if you work hard and get a great score, that's going to be valued everywhere at more than everything else on your application. Yeah, that's, I completely agree with that. The problem then it comes when people get a lower score and they just, they just like kind of lie to themselves thinking that, oh, it doesn't matter because my history, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it could be true. Don't get me wrong. Like there are mm -hmm. some people who have such a history that they can convince like lots of schools even though they're not close to their median but that's a very small fraction of the of the people applying to law schools like people right. say oh i got a, a legal internship you know and i've been working on a law firm therefore like my else score doesn't matter it's like well yeah you, you maybe you could think about that for a second time because i mean people who actually People who are chosen not because their numbers are more because of their story, it's because they have very, very remarkable mm -hmm. stories. And that's yeah. something that people should know. And it's, I completely agree with you that it's reassuring to, you know, getting a score that 
it's above the 75th percentile. I'm not, not even at the 75th percentile, like two, three points above the median. That's, mm-hmm. it's a great feeling that you could have of like, at least I give him my best, you know, like yeah. I'm going to apply to this school and this is my offer. And I don't know what else you want me to do, but I gave my best because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're applying with the median or below the median, you always have that. Did they get, did, did it, like, is it because of my numbers or is it because I could have done something better in my application? Whereas like when you're above that median, the answer becomes more clear, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. if they, if you have, to, if you're three points above their, you know, their, their median and you're not getting in, things become clearer. It's because of your GPA, maybe you screw up the personal statement, but you know that there's like, there's has mm-hmm. to be like some problem. And maybe there's, maybe there is, but maybe there is not that much that you can do in order to get to that school. But yeah, yeah um, so this is going to be the end of the interview. And uh, I really appreciate everything that you said. And all the tips are, extremely valuable i'm sure that people will appreciate it a lot um do you have anything just anything else to say for else tips or just like one last thing or um if i could just leave uh, leave one more piece of advice it goes Let's back see. towards our conversation about uh prep tests and how to mm-hmm. treat them and approach them um an analogy i like to use is like the people who are just taking them over and over to see a better score they're treating prep tests like a thermometer as like, it's just measuring their level where they're at. But what you really want to do is treat prep tests like a thermostat. By taking the prep test, you are increasing your skill and increasing your knowledge. But that only happens if you approach them the right way and properly like review them and take them under test conditions. So treat prep tests like a thermostat, not a thermometer. That's, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'm just, I'm just going to say that that's a great analogy. And the, the tip behind, underneath the analogy, it's very, very valuable for anyone listening here. All right, Dylan, thank you so much for everything. Um, hopefully, like, you're going to get a great law school admissions process. And I just hope the best for you. Thank you. Thanks for having me.